Hello, nerds, and welcome to Crossing the Nerdverse. My name is Travis, and I'm joined, as always, with my two fantastic co-hosts, Eric and Ryan. Ryan, how you been this week? Oh, this week has been a ball of stress, but it's been awesome. I've been uh, traveling the Nerdverse roads of Magic the Gathering after our trading card game episode. And man, is that been a wild ride. You can feel it. You can feel it singing its claws back into you. So that's I've been living, living in the Magic the Gathering universe this week. Definitely a hobby that I pick up and down very frequently. That's one of the ones that I will walk away from and then just suddenly come roaring back into. So I 100% understand that. Leading us on our valiant quest tonight is going to be Eric. Eric, what have you been up to this week? So it's been a little bit of a down week for me. My kid was a little sick for most of it, so I didn't get to uh, enjoy as much as usual. I did get on Twitter, get a lot of interactions, trying to talk to everybody, um, interact with some some people that maybe listen to our episode, maybe just want to talk nerd stuff with us, and then played a little bit of my personal favorite Mass Effect at the moment. Um, got got a little further, you know, still getting all the heroes, gathering everybody in Mass Effect 2, if anybody knows the game. I've got one more to go. I got I got to wake up the, um, I can't remember his name. He was Rex in the first one. Oh, man. Anyways, so back on topic, Butterfly. Um, the, Kro- the Krogan. Yeah, the Krogan. All right, there we go. You're talking about Grunt. Yeah, and the second one, yeah, the one that's created with a, DNA and computer, which is what we do today in society. Anyways, so as we move on, um, yeah, I did a little bit of that. Um, also, reached out and checked out our, our podcast and tried to listen to a couple of people's podcasts that listen to ours. Um, just try to get a feel for us in comparison to them and also just to listen to their content and try to get more immersed into the community as a whole so we can um, start participating more with everybody instead of being sort of lone wolfy. Um, with our stuff so i think that's going to be really important and before i kick off the topic of course travis what are you doing so i have been working remote this entire week we had a bit of an ice storm down here shut us down for the most part so luckily got to work remote which has been nice got to spend the day with my dogs and i actually started three separate new animes this week that I had not been watching before. My favorite of the three that I picked up is definitely Rising of the Shield Hero. Really, really enjoying the story in that one. Sounds interesting. I've seen some previews. Uh, I haven't messed with it yet. I'm a bit of an anime junkie. I do pay my Crunchyroll every month. So, I mean, if you guys want to sponsor us, by the way, Crunchyroll, just just reach out or we'll reach out to you. I don't know how that goes. I'm new. Yep, very open to it. Um. But yeah, so I'm an avid watcher. I, I've had an account on and off. Single greatest way to watch your anime. Anyways, um, so this this topic is going to be about indie game development. Um, now, I, I picked this topic because throughout most of high school and after high school, I always wanted to develop my own video game. Um, I was always good with story writing, um, developing characters, worlds, things like that. Like if you show me a picture, I can write a chapter on a picture I can go in depth. I I just, I, I enjoy it. Creativity is my outlet. So I really wanted to get into that. And the nice thing to tie along with this indie game development is E3. So that was like a, a blessing in disguise when, when news finally came out about that because Sony Xbox slash Microsoft, however you want to word it and Nintendo are all not going to be there. Um, Ever since COVID happened, they've started to do their own events and I'm outside looking in. I'm going to just assume that they're going to continue to do that. Um, I haven't read too much as to when I think Sony's doing theirs, either Sony or Microsoft's going to do theirs the week after E3 um, or the week before. I'll, I'll try to double check. Um, I've seen a lot of weird things like there's not a lot of confirmed stuff that I've found yet. Um, so what's up, Travis? I was beginning to wonder with everyone pulling out whether or not E3 was really going to survive. It seems like when all the those the big dogs, so to speak, pulled out of it, Microsoft, Sony, Xbox, just kind of 
abandoned ship all to run their own, like, basically online announcement forums in the same vein as E3, whether or not that particular Electronics Expo was going to make it. E3 took a big hit with the whole COVID thing. Like, they ended up canceling one year. They ended up being fully digital another year. Like, it was just not good. Um, and during that time, those big platforms needed a way to, like, release games. Not release games, I should say. Release information about their games to get everybody hyped and excited still, even with COVID being an issue. So um, they did develop their own way of doing it, which is going to be a big negative for E3. Now, E3 has gone and they've partnered with Reed Pop. Um, which is a company that is known for doing other events like PAX and stuff like that. Um, so they're, they are putting in a lot of effort um, into what they're about to do in the sense of like they designed an app and this app is going to allow you to like have interviews and things like that and um, be business oriented. Um, you'll be able to find exhibits that aren't just in the convention center, but are going to be outside the convention center. They're going to have a lot going on. And this app's going to tie into a lot of that stuff and and give people information for it. But what I would guess is with the limited info about E3 that's out right now, I'm going to I'm going to say a lot of indie game developers are going to get a big chance to kind of display themselves during this event. So as of right now, the first two days of E3 is going to be business oriented, uh, networking, people interviewing, people talking, kind of getting back together after so much time apart. And then the last like day and a half ish is going to be more consumers. It's going to be for us, the gamers, the players and stuff like that. Um, half the convention center is going to be set up for, for consumers, which I found odd. Cause I would think E3 being what it is, it should be more consumer driven. Um, so to hear that like less of the time is going to be for consumers, half of the space is going to be for consumers. I found it, it kind of odd, but with the big three not being there, it makes sense, but it will give indie developers a big chance to step forward in this type of time because they will be able to build that network with each other, kind of jump on each other's bandwagon, um, get information and help or hire and things like that during it. So E3 is is a great thing to have come out in regards to the topic that we're doing this this week. So it's nice. Go ahead there, Ryan. Well, and I always I'm still one of those that I get excited every time one of the expos or or one of the events gets kind of brought up because especially in regards to to indie development, a lot of indie games have really become some of my my most favorite games that I've enjoyed playing. And more than that, it's given me an avenue with my daughters to start playing video games with them. You know, some of the the top indie games really got, I got exposed to them during PAX and during E3. And so you're talking things like Stardew Valley, Nobody Saves the World, Stray, uh, Limbo, these are all games that I now play with my children, and I wouldn't have known about them without PAX or without a, a similar expo. So, Yeah, uh, the indie scene has definitely been growing. Um, and I think Microsoft slash Xbox and Sony slash PS5 or 4 have all realized that and have done great things to kind of make it easier to get involved in it. So like previous to our current situation, it was a lot harder to to kind of do anything that's why there were so many different like giant game companies coming out capcom and activision all these all these game companies that were huge that were just constantly releasing games because they had the funds and the abilities to make the game hire the people to make the game and everything like that now the companies are making it easier for me myself if i wanted to to actually just make a game in my house so currently, if you look at like Xbox has something called ID at Xbox. Um, that's their self-publishing program right now. In the last nine years that it's been going on, indie games have earned $2.5 billion in royalties. Now, that's a huge number, but you have to also take into context the fact that that's thousands of games, um, which is still a good sum of money for each one. I don't take it away from it. But it is, it is thousands of games. It's, it's not just 
a few games or anything like that. Like that's nine years. That's thousands and thousands of games, but that's still a large number that those indie companies wouldn't be able to make otherwise. And a nice thing that like Microsoft does is that they do make it easier to get a hold of equipment to make your games. So like you could go on and you could sign up. I was looking at it right before we did the show um, as to creating an account, uh, letting them know the concept of your game, things like that, and just kind of getting everything you need to make it. Um, they've definitely realized that indie games aren't going anywhere and they're going to grow. And with stuff like E3 now being more indie game driven, that's going to be a great way for someone that maybe can't get all the perks of being on Microsoft because obviously they're not going to promote them as much as like something like an E3 might if they get their game kind of demoed in time for it. What's up, Ryan? Well, when it comes to the the indie game scene, I'm... I'm glad to hear that uh, that even Microsoft is having kind of a self-publishing or, or an area where you can get your own game put out there because a lot of the top games that have some of the most devout followings and, and people that play them so regularly are indie games. You're talking um, not just Limbo, but things like Hollow Knight was an indie game, and it came out in 2017. Um, Undertale, actually, huge, huge game. Uh, I, I can't think of anybody that I hang out with personally that isn't a huge fan of Undertale. It came out in 2015. And even being eight years old and an indie game, it's still amazing. And these are these are universes and stories that we wouldn't have known without uh, an indie game development. So I'm, I'm stoked to hear that there's platforms for that available. Let's go, Travis. Didn't, didn't Cuphead get its start as an indie game, if I remember correctly? Wasn't that one of the big, like, breakout indie successes? I... Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it a breakout success. Um, so Cuphead came out in 2017 and saw immediate success. And but it was it was an indie game. You're absolutely right. And now they have what, two games and a and a show on Netflix. So, and a nice thing with Microsoft, from what I've looked at and what I've read, they're actually a little bit easier than Sony um, to kind of get on board with and develop games like you can actually be a solo developer with xbox um or up to a thousand person development team is as to what i was reading now it could be off a little bit with my reading um i'm not gonna lie but that is what i saw on there so that that's kind of nice like if you want to develop a game by yourself um sort of take the time to go through it it is a possibility that is that is a nice thing and there's there's obviously some fees attached to it but from everything i read it's nothing crazy um if you're willing to develop a game and put that kind of time into it anyways you probably should realistically know that there's going to be something you have to pay into not just time Um, although time is important i mean microsoft is obviously probably going to take royalties when you sell your game but they're going to want you to put in that money up front to kind of show your commitment to what you're making they want to know if they're giving you that development kit and that testing kit that you are going to put it to good use and and you're not just going to kind of flake towards the end of it so but i have no clue as to what the fee is because there was no way for me to pull anything up uh, without actually signing up and i'm not gonna lie i don't have any game ideas so they probably would have rejected me what's up travis yeah you were talking about the dedication that indie developers have to their product just looking at, I mean, countless studios, like these small time studios have done stuff like mortgaged their house in order to finally get the requisite funds to do stuff like get the publishing, you know, the test play kits and all that stuff for Microsoft paying the last of their game developers by mortgaging a house shows a lot of commitment to, you know, wanting to get your product out there. So that's a, you know, it's that dedication from like indie developers that are really, like really nice to see. Yeah, and it's, it's great to see that they're not going to have to continue to go to such extremes to get their games made now. Um, Ryan, go ahead before I talk about some PlayStation stuff. Well, it just it makes me think about what might cause them to, to move into that realm. You know, last episode we had a, a big talk about the open gaming license from Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast for Dungeons & Dragons. But you're looking at these other major companies, Sony and, and, and Microsoft, that are just kind of opening their doors and yeah, there may be fees involved, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure there's a lot of legalese and, you know, fake contracts that are involved, but some of their, their biggest earners 
are were, were indie games. You know, you, when I think about indie games, especially when I think what's the greatest indie game of all time, you got to talk about Minecraft. I mean, Minecraft got released in I think it was 2011, and I know my kids and all of my kids' friends constantly play that game, and that's got to be a major a major selling point, especially for Microsoft to be opening up their studios for that kind of thing. And like you said, a lot of these companies that had these wildly successful games, uh, you know, like Minecraft, similar to like Terraria, um, even all the way up to The Binding of Isaac, they did. You're talking about selling cars and mortgaging houses just to try to eke your way in. I'm glad that something's in place to kind of help with that. Yeah, it's definitely nice to see. Um, another thing studios are probably considering, again, I'm guessing I'm not, I'm not an expert with any of this, is the fact that like AAA titles are coming out at a slower pace than ever before. Um, not just they're coming out slower, but a lot of times they're getting pushed back even more. Um, so if you were to actually look at E3 right now, out of all the companies that, that are, are avoiding it, like not avoiding it, I should say, but a lot of the companies that aren't going to be there to participate, like Sony, Microsoft, those big three, they don't have super strong releases right now. And if I'm not mistaken, out of the three of them, Microsoft is probably the weakest release schedule right now. Um, so they really need those indie games to kind of push their game passes because all of them have moved now to make money off a of game pass. They might call it something different on each one. And yes, I should know it. No, I don't because I don't do it. I buy individual games to support the people that make them. But if you buy the game passes power to you, I mean, it's great. That's why it's there. But they need those indie developers to keep pushing out solid titles like Among Us. That's my one of my favorite, other than Stardew Valley, which Ryan mentioned. Um, in regards to playing, like they need that support because if they just rely on big titles to come out from Activision and Blizzard and Capcom and all these other companies, I mean, there's going to be huge gaps in time where nothing solid is coming out. Go ahead, Travis. We're going to get into one of my theories uh, on, on AAA titles here. Ryan and I have talked about it before. This is going to be the first time bringing it up in the podcast. But one of the, to me, one of the big things that you see in the slowdown for like AAA titles is how much is expected out of a AAA title now. It's got to have a good story. The graphics have to be great. The mechanics have to be good. It needs to do XYZ. It needs to be open world. The maps have to be huge. You have to have hours upon hours upon hours of gameplay and all this other stuff stacked up on it. So yeah, that's definitely going to bog down the development of it because you, you know, developers want to meet consumer expectations in the regard of like how much they're expecting out of it. Not that they do that all the time because we've seen some big ups and downs with the successes of AAA titles in recent memory. I'm not going to name any of them specifically, but I think the start of that fallout kind of happened with a particular mech suit game that promised a lot more than it delivered. I don't want to use any official titles, but perhaps it will be the anthem of a future episode. What's up, Ryan? Well, and we've we've talked about that kind of thing a lot, right? AAA titles, delays, what gets released too early, what seems to drag on and on. And I'm not afraid to bring up some of these particular titles. Some, not all, but some. And I think it was last episode, maybe the episode before, we started talking about games that are taking new ways to get developed. Um, I think one of the big trendsetters, maybe not the first one that did, one of the big trendsetters on the way that titles are getting released is going to be Star Citizen, where their funding came in through through crowdfunding, if I understand it correctly, and at least a portion of it. And so the game started off as one thing and then continued to evolve as they got more and more funding. And when you start looking at developing a game kind of like Star Citizen, where, in truth, it's an amazing game. It, it is. It's a good game. But it struggled so much with release dates that the consumers fell off. Well, now we're looking at similar things like with uh, Skull and Bones, where the game is getting delayed and getting delayed and people are frustrated. I personally take a stance on it, especially in AAA titles, where stop releasing games that are half done. Stop releasing games that are in beta. Stop releasing games and then judging a failed launch off of three quarters of a game's release. One of my biggest disappointments that I think, in truth, was unfairly judged was Mass Effect Andromeda. 
I loved Andromeda. I think the story was great. I loved playing the game. I, I'd play it again. However, I was promised a lot more than what that game delivered. And all the way to the point where I was expecting season passes and DLC and, and that kind of thing that never got delivered. I am of the opinion that when it comes to AAA games, yes, hold it, delay the release until you're done, and then give me a complete game instead of giving me these half-finished things. But in the indie scene, it turns into something a little bit different. In the indie scene, we start getting a lot more, this is beta access, this is early access. And we start seeing things like like Ark or like Don't Starve or Don't Starve Together. Valheim. Valheim's great. Love Valheim. And it only got released in 2021. And I think it's a great game, but it's early access. And so the indie game scene to me really feels like it's one of those you can get in early, you can take a look at it, and they continue to develop it in early access and then release a full kind of experience, a full a full story. Um, the Long Dark is a game that absorbed my life for a very long time. If y'all haven't played it, highly recommend it. But when it comes to AAA title releases and what's expected of them versus an indie game development and what's expected of them, it gets a little murky. It gets a little bit different because we, the consumers, have a lot more leeway. Yeah, Eric, it's not just consumers, though, like in that sense. Like it's also... You have to look at like, so with an indie game, like any of those, they don't bring up expectations. That's the difference. There there wasn't any big expectations with a lot of those indie games you named. I didn't even know they were released until they were released. So that's the big difference with those. So Activision, Blizzard, I know I keep saying the same names. It's because I can't think of other ones for some weird reason right now. Capcom, Bungie, uh, 343, any of those places. They don't have Square Enix. Yeah, Square. Oh, how did I forget Square? I would Square Enix. If you were out there, I will literally give a kidney to get a job. Anyways, so on a for on a for real note, um, all those companies can't do what an indie game does, which is why the indie game scene is so important. And I think companies are realizing that, like Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo. Um, I actually just pulled it up because I didn't do enough research on you, Nintendo. I apologize and love you. Um, but all of them do offer things for indie developers. But indie developers have leeway. Valheim didn't have a lot of info out before it came out. You could develop it while it goes because of that reason. If if you put a game out like Cyberpunk, it, it had such high expectations and was just so awful when it came out. I bought it. 100% awful. But as they were allowed to patch the game and do things with it, it got better. But the difference between Cyberpunk and Valheim or other, other indie games is Cyberpunk was expected to come out complete. And, and for whatever reason, if it's not a mainstream title, you could come out incomplete and fix it while you go because you're not a mainstream title. Which to me, it doesn't make any sense. Because... Yes, I pay more for the for the big name game. But at the end of the day, they're both going to get to the same point. I don't know. It's it's an awkward situation. What's up, Ryan? Well, what you're saying actually brings up a very interesting point in regards to indie games and their development. What I've seen, especially in the last, I'm going to say four, maybe five years, is you start looking at a AAA title, and Travis really hit the nail on the head with that. You're talking about spending on average, 70 US dollars on a AAA title release, hoping that everything's good. And that's because the expectations are just astronomical. You're talking open world, massive map, tons of side quests, hours and hours and hours of content. And what I'm actually seeing from the indie development side here recently, particularly on Steam, is you're getting these indie developers that are releasing very small, bite-sized experiences that are very well done. You're talking games that are very narratively driven and take you an hour, six hours to entirely complete. And they're doing very, very well. And so you look at a AAA title and the expectations are there. The expectations are that you are going to get 200 hours, 1,000 hours out of this game. They want everything to be Skyrim when realistically the consumers are spending just as much money and time 
on these bite-sized games, these games that are two hours of a narrative experience, whether it's horror or comedy or action or what have you, that now these are the ones that are making a splash. Many of the YouTubers and other content creators are beginning to focus on these style of games. Some of the top channels keep doing things like three scary games I played this month. And each video, yes, is an hour, two hours long after editing, but is the entire experience. It's the whole game. And I start looking at one of my top picks for, for indie games in the last few years has been Inscription. I brought it up in the trading card game episode. Um, highly encourage you guys to check it out if you haven't. Inscription is amazing. It's full of folklore and, and story, and the experience is entirely unique. And it's strange. It's a bizarre gaming experience, but you get all of it in, I think, 10 or 12 hours. And I think that that's a major component that a lot of these larger companies, again, absolutely love these guys. Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo, you do amazing things. But they're not getting the same kind of attention as these indie developers are. I'd agree. Um, but the big thing is, is like we're talking about, they are giving them avenues to release games and create them now. Um, they are not, I would have wager they are not going to do as much publicizing for these games. But I mean, they're putting so much into helping them develop the games. Like, let's just take Sony, for instance. So when you sign up with Sony right now, they've done a lot of changes to their program for indie developers because there was so much contention and problems with it early on. Um, but right now, you can get a dev kit and a test kit if you sign up with Sony um, to create a game, which is which is nice. I mean, I don't know the difference between a dev kit and a test kit. Um, obviously, there's something in there. I guess the test kit's more just, to me, it would seem like it could play an incomplete game. And the dev kit is more the probably C++ style portion of it, I would imagine. Um, if I'm wrong, please, anybody, correct me in Twitter at CTN underscore podcast. Don't forget us. But yeah, so like I would imagine that's the big difference between the two. Or maybe it's so you could give your buddy a test kit to test your game for you. So that way it's not just you using both machines to do the same thing. But yeah, so Sony does something like that. That way it, it gives you a way to um, kind of get out there. Now, in regards to the one thing with Sony, I didn't see it with Xbox and maybe it is there and I didn't notice it. Um with Xbox, you've got to be like a corporation, a company, or a partnership, something like that to get it. But to start an LLC in the States is not a very difficult task. If you're looking at developing a game, again, Sony probably wants you to have a little bit of buy-in to make the game. And if you're already a corporation or something like that or a partnership, um, that shows that you are committed to doing something like that. So they should invest in you um, to get your game or product complete. Um, in Europe, I guess they also do soul traders, it's referred to. Um, I couldn't find too, too much about it, but that seemed like a lot easier than than uh, the North America aspect to it. I also couldn't find any cost with doing this with PlayStation. Um, I didn't even find mention of it. I did notice that prior to 2020, supposedly there was some fees attached to it that, that developers complained about, but I don't know if they got rid of it or not, because like I said, they made a lot of changes recently in the last couple of years for any developers. So maybe they either changed it, modified it. I don't really know. I couldn't sign up. I don't have a corporation partnership or anything like that to, to actually sign up with them. I wasn't able to do that. And the last thing is with Sony, they have also done a lot of improvement with the relations with indie developers. I guess when they first started this company, or not this company, when they first started this department of their company um, for indie gamers, there was a lot of lag between time. So if you were an indie developer trying to reach out to Sony, it could take weeks or months. Now it's down to days. Um, so it's a lot better for the indie developers that are having issues. And also with them, they, they'll provide help. So if you're, ha if you're stuck or anything like that, they actually have people that will walk on and give you a hand. Not physically walk on, obviously. Walk on through through the space of digitalness and help you out with your game. So, I mean, that's a nice thing. Again, companies are seeing that small time stuff is going to sell. 
Now with Nintendo, I didn't see quite as much and it wasn't as easy to find, which doesn't mean anything. Maybe the search algorithms for my computer are so geared towards the other companies, I couldn't find much. But with Nintendo, the biggest thing I found is um, developing with Unity, the Unity engine. And I didn't see as much to like sign up, didn't seem as easy, um, creating an account, things like that. It is a lot prettier. They do a lot of the lightsaber style colors with pink and blue um, on their websites and, and things like that. So that was kind of cool with Nintendo, but obviously more of the kiddish side compared to the other two. What's up, Ryan? Well, in, uh, when you're talking about those partnerships, it really it brings two examples to mind for me because I feel like for a long time, AAA development kind of suffered the same thing that we're seeing things like the Marvel Studios suffered for a while, where things became very cookie cutter. They learned what made money, and so they made five more. They made 15 more. And you don't get a lot of innovation when it comes to AAA titles. In fact, as somebody that plays a lot of games, whether they're indie or, or not, there are certain aspects to things that become part of the brand. You look at Monster Hunter, for example. That's a that's a huge development franchise. And while there are slight differences every time, each game is relatively similar to the point where some of the most exciting parts about the game are returning aspects. Monsters that have come back in, returning weapons, how they're going to work. Uh, shout out to all my Monster Hunter hunting horn users, all six of us out there. Um, but then I start looking at indie development and you start seeing that indie developers are really at the head of the fleet, are spearheading, doing things that are different and that are new and really cultivating a different kind of experience. Um, my first example is going to be the Stanley Parable. I don't know if y'all guys have played it. Everybody that plays it gets kind of a different experience and a different interpretation of the game. For me, the Stanley Parable really made fun of what it was like to try to develop a universe, try to develop a game. And it was an amazing experience. Stanley Parable came out in 2013. Stanley Parable 2 was amazing. Um, a, a great hit as far as the scene goes. And did something very, very different. It was very ephemeral. It was very interpretive. And then you start looking at 2022, and we had Cult of the Lamb drop. Now, Cult of the Lamb is not the first of its kind. Obviously, I think it's probably the most successful of its kind. But here you have a game... As an indie developed game specifically designed to be used by streamers, by people that stream video games with an audience. Because your audience, your chat, your, your, your stream viewers get to interact with your game in very real and impactful ways. They can make it harder, they can make it easier, they can give you bonuses, and they can become involved. And when you're running a stream game like Cult of the Lamb, whenever a viewer can see themselves in the game. They now have a character. They have a presence in the game. That kind of connection, you don't get that if you're going to be streaming God of War, right? And so I'm really happy, again, I know I've said it already, I'm going to say it again. I'm happy to see these major industries that are opening up for indie game developers. I just hope that they keep their minds open enough to start seeing things like Stanley Parable, Cult of the Lamb, um, even simple stuff like Papers, Please, are amazing games, but wildly different experiences. And I, I'm i curious to see if it's the money. Is it the money that these games are earning that is opening up the studios for that kind of thing? I think a lot of it has, it has to do with the ups and downs as far as the gaming industry is concerned. Because you'll see these peaks and valleys where indie development really starts to take off. It'll kind of peter out or taper you know, to a plateau as triple a games basically refocus you'll see those big ups and downs where triple a games kind of have the ups and downs but you'll get to to where the point where indie games are going to fill that gap that people aren't getting from their triple a games triple a games will go oh hey it turns out people actually like a you know story driven gameplay or whatever uh the big one i think recently i noticed in the fads was the like telltale style games where it's the very story driven interactive choices 
became wildly popular and now you'll see that a lot more in AAA games like oh people want the decisions they make to be long-term impactful for the story let's just you know we'll sprinkle that mechanic in or they'll basically take these indie companies and just be like hey we'll pay you a bunch of money to just churn out as many of these as you can so yeah you'll see those those big ups big nouns i think in the gaming industry so i think right now indies are definitely on a big uptick i hope they stay on an uptick because obviously they're going to drive the market for triple a titles to be better and do better but you also get i feel like more passionate development in regards to the game people actually care about the product that they're putting out more so than just manufacturing a product i think indies always going to be big now like for the end of time only because triple a titles take so long to make Indie games don't quite have the same same time to make. And then now with how people are because of things like Netflix and everything else with, with having to get it right away and things like that, uh, people are, are going to get frustrated with AAA titles talking about how great they are and all these things like Skull and Bones, the biggest thing. I think when that re- game releases, it's going to be a flop. Um, everyone can mark it February 2nd, 2023. It's going to flop. And the reason is, is because it's been hyped now for so many years that it just, it's, it can't live up to it. There's no way right now for Skull and Bones to live up to the hype. It's impossible unless that game literally comes out and just starts handing me money through my PlayStation five. It's not going to live up to the hype. It can't, there's no way. That's why I said, I know this is off topic. Black Adam, Black Adam can't be a great movie. Why? It took for, ever to release it hyped itself up so much that it just didn't it didn't do it i mean i was excited for two years to see black adam it's it's nuts what's up travis i don't think skull and bones was necessarily overhyped i don't feel like that's going to be the issue with it i do agree that is going to flop and you can mark me on this i think they missed the trend in the open ocean pirate style game i really feel like two years ago this game definitely would have been ideal that would have been the greatest time for this to come out i think they've missed the wave and i think the trend has passed so when this comes out yeah you're gonna have those people that were like you know fuck yeah piracy but i think the big fad and or popularity for it i think the moments passed it's one of those things where you like again i spoke earlier the trends of ups and downs i think the trend is just way gone on this one what do you got ryan in regards especially to to things like the trends i i agree with you um and eric i agree with you i think that when skull and bones drops it's going to struggle i still think it can be an amazing game i think it can be an amazing experience but I'm thinking personally and opinion only. I'm not an expert in any way. I think that indie game development and AAA development is going to enter a realm of symbiosis. And I think in a lot of ways we already have. You have these major AAA titles that are being developed and, and being created. But in order to keep the hype going, you need to feed the consumers something. And that's where indie games live, right? These are the ones that... You have 5,000 companies all releasing these bite-sized games and these these smaller titles that not only are giving the consumers something that they want, that they can enjoy, but also kind of testing the waters, seeing, hey, are people still interested in pirates? Are people interested in superheroes? And I think the Black Adam analogy was fantastic because Black Adam did spend way too long getting hyped up. Everybody was expecting this major event. And I watched Black Adam. It was good. I enjoyed it. It was fine for what it was. But it was never going to live up to this epic amount of of hype. And the hype train is real. And so when you have these AAA titles that are the leaders, the titans of the industry, they get supported by the indie development. And yeah, there are success stories like, like Minecraft where... They've become their own thing, their own genre. And I actually have something of a pet peeve when it comes to video games because any game that will do something new or different or in a unique way suddenly becomes synonymous with that mechanic. Um, I've been playing one that I I enjoy called Solasta that is a fantastic Dungeons & Dragons style game. 
but it's a tactical placement action point system similar to XCOM. And now any game that comes out that uses a similar method is referred to as XCOM-like. And I guess ultimately that's what it is. You have a symbiosis, a symbiotic relationship between AAA titles that need five years to develop, ten years to develop a game and release it. And the indie game scene is going to be like, hey, what are people interested in? What are they looking for? I think that's a good balance, and I'm not entirely unhappy with that. It's not always small, like, bite-sized portions, though, when it comes to indie games. Some of them can just be absolutely massive. Minecraft being one of the ones that you brought up a lot. Ark, another indie game that has taken off to become a major studio in its own right, started off as a pretty massive game. Those maps were absolutely huge. There was a lot to do. You ran around, you tamed dinosaurs, you died an unfathomable amount of times in order to build your base so you could have your nice little like crappy wooden fence that was going to get wrecked the first time a dinosaur walked by but you'd be very proud of that game definitely makes you feel like you put in the elbow grease to get anything done but yeah so i mean i i don't necessarily feel like it's always just going to be bite-sized portions and again maybe i'm i'm picking out the exception to the rule with games like this but you also have those ones that are just roaring success with good art value and good story. I think you guys kind of slept on Cuphead, one of the breakout like indie successes. That was one of the first. So for real, I know Eric's rolling his eyes at me, but I I paid very little attention to indie games other than the ones that Ryan like wrung my arm to get into until Cuphead came out. And I was like, damn, indie games can really do something like this with the good artwork and the fantastic mechanics and the jumping around and the 2D side scrolling, which Again, 2D platforming, underappreciated genre in video games. I absolutely freaking love 2D platforming games. Super, super good. Eric, you can shake your head all you want. It's okay to be wrong. That's fine. No one is going to judge you besides me and Ryan, who already have, but that's because we know you. All right, first off, 2D is only bad because so many people today are used to 3D. I still think we should go back to like Nintendo style where you don't get saves you get codes. However far you got, that's what you get. You get a fucking code. If you don't write it down, you don't remember it, when you go back to play it, start over. That's life. Be difficult. That's what it should be. Video games now are so crazy. What? Talk about the Lion King challenge, one play style, all the way, like one sitting all the way through beginning to end Lion King. Dude, the people I respect the most on this planet didn't develop anything didn't cure anything they didn't solve anything they beat ninja turtles on nintendo that's who i respect those guys right there they did some shit dude i tried for years to do that go ahead ryan i know you're chomping it's good to know that you respect me because i've finished that game you got to be careful because uh your, your old man is showing a little bit right there you know there was some guy just like eric back in the day going What's with this book thing? Scrolls were just fine. People should go back to having to roll through their story just as they wanted to. Um, but no, and that's, it, it's not a bad point, right? Like, I, I agree that I think that there are an epic amount of games that have moved towards a very handholdy style. You don't have a limited number of lives. You don't have this. You don't, you don't have these kind of aids. But I also think there are a lot of games that have really threaded the needle in regards to all of these aspects. Um, Journey came out on PlayStation. Beautiful art. Beautiful gameplay. But it didn't focus nearly as much on 3D. You gotta remember, even The Legend of Zelda, when it started moving into 3D on, I guess Ocarina of Time would have been in 64, there was no jump button. Like, you ran towards a cliff and you hoped it worked. And <laughs> That was the problem with Assassin's Creed. The first yeah, few. Yeah, Assassin's Creed is the same way. But then you also have a, an interesting phenomenon when it comes to these kind of games, because you had Pathologic, or Pathological came out. And Pathological really opened the door for an entire artistic genre style that, in my opinion, eventually led to things like Plague Story, Plague, Plague Tale, Plague Story. Um, Plague Tale. Even... Plague Tale, there you go. Even all the way up to some of the Dark Souls games, where here, here's, here's I guess, kind of the big point. 
a lot of people when comparing video games and movies and television shows, you start seeing a lot of the same gripes brought up. And I used to really think that, oh, it's because the internet told you to be mad about it. You know, it was too dark during the end of Game of Thrones. Um, it was too dark during some of the DC movies where it's like we couldn't see what was going on. But then you start looking at a lot of the Souls games, things like Dark Souls and Bloodborne, even Elden Ring, where lighting is part of the art. And they're totally cool with that. That's fine. Elden Ring is king of the castle. And I don't necessarily agree that we need to go back to you don't get saves or you get three lives, good luck. Um, because all of those games were developed specifically for the ultimate pay-to-play experience at the arcade. Imagine if you could go back, and I know for us in particular, you go back to the arcade, and we're talking about like Area 51 or Biohazard, quarter after quarter after quarter going into these games where it's like, okay, 25 cents a life. Imagine if somebody tried to do that now. You could get on your Xbox and you could play, but to get three more lives, you had to pay a dollar. But you would, though, because pay-to-play is such a big thing today. So you, you could easily do that, like, in the, and it wouldn't be anything. Like, people would gripe for half a minute, and then they'd do it. Because so many games now, you, you pay money to get extra stuff in them, and it's foolish. Um, it doesn't even make any... Like, if I buy a game, I should be able to earn everything in the game. Now, granted... I might have to try extra hard because I don't want to pull my debit card out, but I should still be able to get some to put out content in a video game and say, the only way to get this is to buy this is bullshit and a slap in the face to video game players. And the fact that we has a culture or whatever you want to call the nerd verse allow EA, especially. Yeah. I'm calling you out EA, even though you make my star Wars games. Love you. Um, I'm calling you out. You make some bullshit, dude. I don't want to have to buy some content. Or not content, I should say. Yeah, it's content. I don't want to have to buy a special jersey, a pair of shoes, a, a fucking sword. I should earn it. If you want to make me have to backflip 30 times while I'm fighting the final boss to get the sword, I'll do it. I will. Swear to God. But I should have the option. Travis, go ahead before uh, I got a little special to throw at the end. I, I got to rewind it to when Ryan mentioned the journey game, my knee jerk reaction and feel free to Google this. I don't know if you knew this Atari 2600 had a game called journey because of the band journey. It is 100% real. It's this like raining dodge thing. So like crap just falls from the sky and you're this little dude and you like dodge back and forth and it plays like this little riff over and over again from journey. Don't stop believing like the little piano riff that goes on during that. That is the whole game. And I, I see Eric nodding his head. If you hold up on the little joystick, it makes it go fast as shit. That game can get super freaking hard if you're holding it forward to like fast forward to the end while you're doing your little dodge. And you don't get a set number of lives. You've got the one little dude. If you get hit, you start all the way over. I don't know if any of you have listened to a Journey song. On average, they're like, five and a half hours long i think somewhere around there they're Whatever. like rush but more piano riffs dude journey songs are long you can shake your head eric they're long okay like it's just yeah, but who, way to do who it. hasn't like, karaoke journey while they're enjoying themselves at a bar i'm not i'm not saying that doesn't happen i'm just saying they're long songs which makes it a really like long game if you're six and this is the first video game you've ever played. By the way, first two games I ever played, Journey and Cubert. So I'm going to I'm going to bring up the demon. I'm going to bring up the unmentionable when it comes to games. Microtransactions. Ooh. I think yeah, that's horrible. Yeah, exactly. I agree with Eric's sentiment. I I don't mind if a game has a certain level of microtransaction, especially if the game was released to consumers for free. I do agree that the vast majority of a game should be able to be earned in-game. And it's funny, when you think about microtransactions in regards to things like AAA development or indie development, because a lot of games are very, very dependent on that. Of course, it had the side effect of having everyone go to the obvious extreme 
look at mobile games right now. You can't play a mobile game without having to sift through two thirds of your gameplay being closing ads. But I think that if handled correctly, it can be done well. It's funny to look at players where they looked at, I think it was Skyrim. It was potentially Oblivion, but I think it was Skyrim where they released a cosmetic only horse armor. It was like $10 and everyone lost their minds. I'm not paying $10 for a cosmetic only kind of game feature that, no, I'm not doing that. And now you look at it and people have completely flipped the switch. Now they're like, microtransactions are fine as long as it's only cosmetic. We don't want anybody paying to win. Paying to play is a whole different game. Pay to win is a problem. And nearly every mobile game has a problem with that. And I honestly think there's a lot of games, hey, EA, love you guys, but you're going to keep coming up during this, that get absolutely ruined because of microtransactions. One of my favorite games ever was Star Wars The Old Republic. I love that game. It's great. I think its design is fantastic. The freedom they allow you is fantastic. And freedoms that you get as long as you pay your subscription, as long as you buy their pass. And without that pass, the game is unplayable, literally. And so instead of paying $70, $70, 70 US dollars for a total game experience, like God of War or Assassin's Creed, instead I'm paying $15 a month. And if I play that game for a year, I have wildly overpaid for this game. If I pay it, play it for two years, now it gets even worse. And then we get into the king, the king of it. World of Warcraft. I was going to say. Here's a game. Yeah. World of Warcraft. You're going to pay AAA prices for the game and every expansion. You're going to pay a monthly subscription to be allowed to play the game that you paid for. And when they release more content or a new DLC, you better buy that one too or you're screwed. Yeah, but that's the genre though. Like to be in the defense of MMORPGs, I am a junkie. I am a true certified i know travis hold on a sec i'm a true certified mmorpg junkie i played everquest i played it religiously dude i played that game like i convinced my parents if you're listening to this this didn't happen i convinced my parents to let me stay home from school sick because new patches came out for that that's a whole different genre when you get into that compared to like this other shit it, it to me that's apples and oranges now, when I buy an EA game for my console, even my computer, that is supposed to be standalone, I don't want to be paying extra shit. I just don't. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, that's just who I am. I love everyone who wants to pay extra to win or because they're not good at games, they want to pay extra to be as good as me. If you need to do that to feel good about yourself, feel free. Pay the extra money to be as good as me. I'm okay with it. But your, your MMORPGs at the end of the day, dude, like... That is, that is, you're going to buy the DLCs. That's where DLC started, in my opinion. I, like I said, EverQuest. I had like eight expansions I bought for that fucking game. I don't even remember now. Like I was literally like scrubbing my parents' bathroom to try to buy that goddamn stuff. Like it was ridiculous. So those ones I forgive and those ones I'm good with. Wow. Um, I did Star Wars Galaxies and bought the expansions. Uh, like I don't, I don't even know like horizons where you could be a dragon that flies yes that came out and you guys didn't play it so it went away horrible people um but yeah there, there, there's a lot of mmorpgs and that was expected of that genre i think that's kind of one that you can exclude from our anger and grit because that's what's expected um they increased the game yeah you paid monthly that also wasn't very fun but any free-to-play MMORPGs to me aren't as fun as pay-to-play, which is weird to say. I get it because I'm so against microtransactions, but still. What's up, Travis? You guys have completely forgot about Destiny 2 and the sheer amount of money that goes into that. Season passes, expansions, cosmetic upgrades, XP boosters, loot drop boosters, silver, dust... All that stuff Ryan was going on is, you know, everybody wanted to go in on EA and completely forgot probably one of the biggest culprits on the market right now. And that's Destiny 2. 
there's a microtransaction for everything in Destiny 2. It doesn't matter what it is. Extra emojis. Like, you can buy whatever in that game. Its online economy is absolutely ridiculous. And I get that Bungie isn't one necessarily one of the biggest studios. Because it's really not, when you look at comparison for, like, Blizzard, Activision, places like that. Bungie is dwarfed by a lot of those companies as far as the sheer size. Now, they do hyper-focus their games, so I have to give them credit for that. They definitely Halo. put in a lot of elbow grease. They're coming... Yeah. You know, they're coming out with the patches. They're putting in the elbow grease. So I'll give... You know, I'll tip my hat to you on that. You guys do aftermarket support really, really well once it's released. But, yeah, Bungie, the grind is real, and it's definitely... Yep definitely there as far as the microtrans go so destiny 2 is my biggest pet peeve when it comes to microtransactions because of the fact that you can only get certain things by spending your money that's a prime example of if i don't spend my no matter how good i am i could school everybody all day online in, in, in like the i can't remember what it's called but where you fight all the pvp the arena stuff on there crucible yeah the crucible i could go through there and school everybody I literally just dwarf them in capabilities, but they look cooler than me because they have their mom or their their own credit card and they use it to look cool. That, that to me, that's where I draw the line. Like you could be mad See, at, at EverQuest or WoW for releasing DLC, but at the end of the day, you could earn all the same stuff. You You can get it with time. Zero problems if somebody wants to spend 15, 20, 50, 60, $1,000, whatever on on a cosmetic thing i have zero issue with that if you want the crazy special skin to make you look like you know three people stacked on each other's shoulders in a trench coat or whatever that's fine i that doesn't that doesn't phase me the loot sorry the loot boxes in ea were the ones that got to me where it's like this will literally make you better in the game if you spend $5. For $5, we will guarantee you extra characters and longer XP boosts and this cool Luke Skywalker skin and like a cameo from a celebrity or whatever the hell else they were putting in those stupid loot boxes that you had to buy at like $5 a piece. Those are the ones that were really like, this is criminal. Like, All right, Ryan, what do you got? We're getting close to time here. So... When it comes to microtransactions, again, we need to loop back into the AAA versus indie scene. I think that Destiny 2 is a really good example. And when you look at microtransactions in comparative to gameplay, when you compare World of Warcraft to Destiny 2, I agree with Eric's sentiment. MMOs are they're, they're, they're their own monster. The way they do things is the, their own own thing. And where Destiny 2 really clutched it for me is that you could. You could spend money. You could get the cool stuff. You could get the whatever. That's fine. I am steadfastly against loot boxes and random drop rates. I think that is just vile. Um, And that should be relegated to the purgatory of mobile games. If that's the way they want to make their money, fine. I keep it off my console. But... Are you talking about like random loot drops for like boxes, like loot boxes? Or you're talking about like land, random loot drops for like boss fights? No, I'm talking about the loot boxes. I'm going to spend $5 trying to get my new whatever motorcycle mount, but it's only a 2% drop rate in this loot box because it becomes a slot machine. You're going to have to buy 15 of them and hope. And I think the big kicker is with Destiny and WoW, they really landed on here's some cool cosmetic stuff this is not going to make you better at the game and that's kind of my happy place somebody wants to look just like luke skywalker fine that's cool you spent your money on it more power to you it's your money spend it how you want to spend it but if you can spend money to make yourself better at the game that's where i draw the line and destiny i think really did that well a lot of the top end weapons top end armor and that kind of stuff you only got from gameplay. You had to do it. You had to do the raids. You had to do the dungeons. You had to get lucky. It didn't take money. It took time. That's smart. Make people play your game. However, I, I, actually, I think WoW does the exact same thing. You have to be able to grind it out. You have to play the game. Now, if you want to get that piece of armor because it's your the best mechanics or the best statistics or, or whatever, and then make it look like a giant lollipop, 
more power to you. It's your money. Um, but yeah, in regards to the AAA versus the indie scene, it's really apparent to me that in AAA titles, you start seeing a lot more of the microtransactions. Modern Warfare is a premium example right now. You're going to pay your money to get your sweet costume or the sweet skin for your weapon or to make your moves have fireworks go off, whatever the case may be. Whereas in indie titles, they don't worry about that kind of stuff. That You don't see it where I'm going to buy, eh, I won't say always. In general, you don't see microtransactions inside indie games that are releasing for consoles or for PC. And that, again, I think leads into where the big industries use indie games as kind of a testing ground. What are people interested in? I, I would agree. I mean, indie games allow big developers to see what people are playing. Um, but at the end of the day, they still have to try to meet or or match that, that gameplay. And it's, it's easy to look at and say that you can do it. it. It's a lot more harder or a lot more difficult. Jesus, my English is bad. It's a lot more difficult to actually do it, though. Um, so the, the companies are going to keep, like we talked about, PlayStation and Xbox especially. Nintendo, we love you, but it's just not as easy to look you up. Sorry. Um, but... They, they are providing options and, and ways for Joe Blows like us to just get involved um, and, and make some games. So just to recap, PlayStation, Xbox, thumbs up. On a very for real note, you guys are doing great things to, to allow indie guys to make games while you're waiting for AAA titles so I don't get bored waiting for uh, my games. And then just to uh, throw some more info out there, I know it's the last of uh, of the of the cast, but I'm glad Jedi Survivor's taking a longer time than need be to come out because that series is the epitome of what microtransactions not being involved can be great is. I worded that all wrong. So the original game, microtransactions weren't really involved. Multiplayer wasn't involved. That cra- That game was incredible. One of the best ever. I've played it on different platforms. I've played it multiple times. I love it. It's a great single player game and experience. And hopefully the sequel continues that. I also want to give a shout out to Mass Effect. Um, they are working supposedly on the fourth one. It's going to be nuts. It's going to be crazy. If you go to our Facebook group, um, Heroes of the Nerdverse, you can check out. I got some links on there. I'm always trying to throw the, the newest news out for everybody so they can keep up with what's going on. Um, there is some Mass Effect 4 info on there that's going to be good. I'm excited to see what they do. Andromeda, like Ryan said, was good. But I think going away from Shepard and his team was not the greatest idea. Um, especially with the way the three ended. Um, if they would have had a different type of ending or if it would have ended, I don't know, the way they kind of hinted at originally, maybe you could have moved on. Um, but because they didn't, it is nice to see that they're going to go back. I don't know if Shepard's coming back. They're talking about all his peoples. So I'm going to guess that Shepard's coming back one way or another. Um, it'll be good to see. And then lastly, give, what's up, Ryan or Travis? Give me more Garrus. Absolutely. My favorite character. Oh yeah. From the Mass Effect series, Garrus Vakarin. Super, super dope character. Oh yeah. All day. He's on every one of my teams. Uh, and lastly, just real quick, we have to give a moment of silence for Titanfall because as it stands right now, they're not going to do anything with it, um, which is ridiculous. So let's go ahead and, and we'll we'll just give a moment. All right, I have horrible ADHD. I can't really give a good moment. Um, moment over. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Titanfall, but you were incredible. You were probably my favorite mech game of all time. Yes, Absolutely. mech warrior, that means you are shit compared to titanfall um titanfall king yeah i mean titanfall was so good apex came out of it just saying um facts. so i guess Absolute facts. i guess i shouldn't be standing by for titanfall yeah no unfortunately we, none of us will forever be standing by for titanfall um so with that i just want to throw up before i pass it over to these two gentlemen to see if they got anything else reach out we are here. We really want to hear from all of you. Um, we are really trying to get more of our community involved with everything we do. Um, CTN underscore podcast for Twitter. H Nerdverse for Twitter. 
um, Heroes in the Nerdverse on Facebook, CrossingTheNerdverse.com. Like, we are out there. We are everywhere. I have claimed our podcast on so many programs. Reach out. We we want to hear from you. We don't know what to do. At the end of the day, honestly, we are at the point where we are throwing darts at a dartboard to come up with topics. We need you to tell us what you want. What do you want to hear? We'll do the research. We're here to do the work. We don't mind it. We want to grow. We want to we want to take the burden off your shoulders as to, as to what you want to learn. Um, hopefully this episode w- was a learning experience. Maybe, you know, if a dev ever develops something, throw a little CTN in there, throw a little Nerdverse, something um, into your games. Do something with it. Um, and, and just, yeah, reach out. We're here. So, Ryan, you got anything? Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. Obviously, we are desperate to have you guys interact with the show. We have done everything that we can think of to make ourselves available to you through Facebook, through Twitter, through Instagram. Guys, we even have a Pinterest. Like, reach out to us through any way possible. We want to know what you want to hear about. And yes, we are throwing darts at a dartboard, in some cases very literally, to see what this week's episode is about. And yeah, it comes up with some really interesting things. And I realize that we are just three dudes throwing our opinions out. We want to know your opinion. Please reach out to us especially all of you guys that are just like me who are still here standing by for Titanfall. Quit, quit stealing my line, Ryan. I'm the one that makes bad puns around here. Ryan, and with that... One sec. Ryan also means guys, gals, and every other acronym that's out there. We don't want to exclude... Oh, yeah, we're all dudes here. Yeah, which, uh, I'm going full Good Burger about it. He's a dude. She's a dude. Everybody. I want to hear from Everybody. It, attack helicopters out there if you have something to say throw it on our twitter and uh you may even we're actually getting to the point where we are looking to bring um individuals onto the show for interviews so if you have a particular realm of knowledge a particular set of skills that you think the nerdverse needs bring it to our attention we'll bring you on so yeah absolutely speaking of a particular set of skills it's to make terrible puns during our podcasts. So, Ryan, don't try and steal my job. It's the whole reason I'm here. And with that, find us wherever you can get your podcasts from. We are Crossing the Nerdverse. It's been fantastic to have you with us, and we will see you next time.